to The Drummer and the Great Mountain, a podcast where we share effective tips and practices for working with adult ADD, ADHD in a natural, effective way without the use of medications. Each episode, join me, your host, Batman Saram, along with the author of The Drummer and the Great Mountain, Michael Joseph Ferguson. Join Michael and myself in an interactive discussion of sharing our stories as we journey together in transforming what can be the gift of being what we call hunter types. This podcast is intended to be your audio companion to the book written by Michael, who joins me each episode where we both will strive to foster dialogue, give you our personal insights, and share both of our experiences on this similar path that we are all on. Our intention and hope is that along with the book, this podcast gives you an additional perspective as you listen to us delve deeper into each chapter of the book to give you even more tools to go along with what it is that you are reading. Visit us at drummerandthegreatmountain.com to purchase the book and look for more tools, tips, and updates, as well as giving us feedback on this podcast. Join our growing global community of creative types, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers on our shared journey. Welcome to the Drummer in the Great Mountain podcast. Life, by its very nature, is creative. It expands, grows, and connects. Staying in touch with your creativity is staying in touch with life itself. So many of us hunter types are artists. Along with our many challenges come countless gifts. For the vast majority of us, our cornerstone gift is creativity. Usually when I open a quote, open the show with a quote like that, it's from someone that's been quoted in the book, The Drummer in the Great Mountain, A Transformative Guide for Adult ADHD, by Michael Joseph Ferguson. This quote I just gave you is by the author himself, Michael, and uh, it brings us into a very, very fun podcast that we've both been looking forward to because it speaks to the very nature of, of who we are. Um, we've been talking to you for a while now, and, and a lot of Michael's book mentions how being a hunter type and being creative go hand in hand. And we've talked about the challenges that come from that need to address that need of who we are and how a lot of artists are hunter types. And the key is to realize it's both a gift to be the artist, both a gift to be a hunter type. It's just as a hunter type, you learn how to transform being a hunter type so that it's all advantage and as little as possible disadvantage. At least that's my take on it. And in today's podcast, we are going to be talking about and covering uh, one of the last chapters, chapter 13, which is the creative life and making a living as an artist, and there's a reason for that. What is an artist and who is an artist? This is a, can be a very subjective term, and it can be wide open. 
But just to cover um, the major possibilities, musicians, actors, filmmakers, comics, graphic artists, illustrators, people who are in marketing and creative advertising, architects, there may be more. You may be thinking of more. You may be these or, or something else. That term artist can be subjective. Like I said, it can be used towards a lot of things that someone does for a living or is trying to do for a living. And that's part of what we want to cover today. So before I get too much further into, into my monologue, I want to bring in the author, Michael Joseph Ferguson, who joins me every week. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Uh, we both can literally, I think we could spend three hours talking about this. Both of us are yeah. artists. Both of us happen yeah. to be musicians. That's how we met. We met through the musician circle of Southern California. And then it so happened that when I first met you as a musician, it so happened one of the other projects you were working on as an artist was as an author. And it was this book, which is why we're here and this podcast. And I think both of us can start off probably talking about as much as we can, giving people the Reader's Digest version of how we've both attempted to and are in some ways trying to make our living as an art, um, living as artists. But yes. let me just ask you, in, in your experience in, in writing this book, is summarize for those who may be just joining us, what it is this connection? Why is it in your experience? And you can only talk about that in authoring the book and in your own experience in life. Sure. What is the hand-in-hand -hand connection with being a hunter type and creativity? What, 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 what is happening there? Well, okay, there's definitely the brain chemistry aspect of it. But I think just to zoom out a little bit, mm -hmm. um, I think most people just from subjective experience know that that the people that they're familiar with, they grew up with, they went to school with, they were artists, especially the ones that were really kind of on the edge and, and doing uh, very creative things, weren't necessarily the people that had their ground plane or relationships handled. <laughs> they were people that had <laughs> challenges in those. And that is, this is an archetype and, you know, it's it's known we all but i think for me in writing the book and and um really going into like how many what is that percentage of people who are artists who are hyper creative um and that who have been successful as artists how they um and especially those who've really kind of broke new ground um yeah that so many of them have those add adhd challenges and so I'd say from that point of view, this one, this is pretty obvious. Uh, and then of course, you know, the feedback that we've gotten from the podcast and from, from the sales of the book and talking to people, it's very clear that, and this is the audience that we directed ourselves to, because we mm -hmm. felt like this is what, this is what I knew about going into the book. And I wanted to give something to someone who was just starting out maybe in their early twenties. And so in terms of the brain chemistry of it, what I've come to on that, and this is my from my studies, um, there's many studies that, and I've cited, cited them in the book, that show that there's a direct connection between ADD and creativity. So there, there's science behind it. Um, from my reading and study, it seems to be what's going on is the dopamine. Once again, we've mentioned this many, many different ch chapter or many different podcasts prior to this. Um, there's a restlessness that comes from having this condition of less dopamine receptors and it draws us towards stimulation. And that stimulation is not just from 
uh, you know, going out and doing extreme sports or something like that. It's also from stimulating thoughts, things that draw you in and, and, and give you that spark. And it could be learning an instrument or learning to paint. Uh, it, there's that that fire that comes from this. Mm -hmm. And I, from my study, that's the connection is that our brains, the way we're wired, make us a bit restless and how we satiate that restlessness. One way of doing that is through exploring our creativity. Mm -hmm. And so for each category of artist, you may relate to this in your way, in your field. I can tell you as a musician, Violin being the home, being the home instrument, classically trained since I was a kid, and then learning other instruments just as I needed to for my composing career and just, you know, um, writing songs for the band and, and what have you. I can tell you that I always thought it was a cliche when I would hear artists older than me saying, I get a high, I get, I get so much from my art, even if it's not playing for people. And I didn't get that till I was older because as a yeah. kid... As, as a kid, I'm grateful for this now, but as a kid, it was like, have you practiced your violin, Batman? It's time to go yeah. to lessons, Saturday morning lessons, in addition to, um, uh, you know, having orchestra as a subject in, in schooling. You know, I had private lessons at a conservatory. Thank goodness mm -hmm. my parents were, you know, who sacrificed so much for, for their kids. You know, we had no business, uh, financially speaking, to be sending me to a private conservatory outside of Philadelphia, a uh, very prestigious one at that. And I'm not bragging because I, I didn't live up to those expectations. I didn't turn into uh, a number one chair in, a, in an L.A. symphonic or anything like that. But my parents still kept at it, and I'm grateful they did. But my point is, as a kid, it was, well, I obviously enjoyed the instrument, and I was drawn to it as a kid. There's no doubt about that. But when it was a have-to thing, there was less inspiration. And it was really interesting going into college and no longer taking those private lessons, I found there was an emptiness. And then that's what got yeah. me into my best friend now of 23 years since college, who, was, who I'll never forget, said I heard, and this was in the dormitories at, at Villanova University, I'll never forget. He said, I heard through someone that you used to play violin. I said, yeah, I did, but honestly, I'm sick of Mozart. And I'll never forget, he goes, well, I've been also classically trained in piano and jazz trained since I was a kid. Have you ever thought about playing something other than Mozart? And at that time, 1993, the concept of the violin playing to me, anything other than Mozart was just like, no, that, that's what you do. You play classical. He taught me an Eric Clapton song, um, You Look Wonderful Tonight, the famous Eric Clapton song. It was over. That was it. At 18 years old, when I played that instrumentally on the violin, reading, because I had the classical training, so I could read the music that he, he had arranged, it was over. We went into band after band, moved to California. We were in bands. He moved to Colorado. My life took over from there. So this is getting me into my path and just to have full transparency of yeah. this need will never leave you. Look at my life. My life yeah. was... I dropped the creative life and picked it back up in college. Then it was band after band. Moved to California, had a full-time day job, but that hunger was there to be an artist with other artists. Joined band after band, picked up on one that had uh, real potential, and we signed to a record label. At 30 years old, 30 years old, which is very, very late in the game of the music industry, mm -hmm. when you've already established another life. I had a six-figure salary corporate job. I had everything I needed from the non-artist vantage point. From a farmer type, 
I was yeah. set. As a hunter type, I was not satisfied. At 30 years old, to the begrudging uh, uh, wishes of my, of my family saying this is not a good idea, I dropped a six-figure salary job to go join a band's record label and go on the tour, touring, go on the road touring in California. I did that for two years. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I still found a way to make money on the side by turning my, my daytime skills of computer programming into a consulting business. Then the hunter type kind of burned out on even that, the road life, the artist life, yeah. um, and needed to come back home to some stability. I came back home to some stability, but the hunger was still there. Then I made my own band, and I started becoming a violin for hire for some flamenco and gypsy bands. And now still to this day, maybe it's not as much as I like, and, and I'm working on that as we all are. We're, we're always a work in progress. Um, you know, I have a band now that's been established in Southern California for eight, nine years. We do weddings. We do corporate events. We used to do major venues on a weekly basis. And mm. I used to pay four guys. They, I was their salary. I was their boss. And for a good two, three years, I was making money and paying my band to play music and be an artist. And that need will always be there. Now... And, and there, there may be somebody out there, maybe a lot of people out there who can relate to this. Now I'm 40 years old. I am back to a desk job during the day. Music is still there at night. But the need and the hunger for the desk job not to be what I'm doing eight hours a day is absolutely there. And I'm working on it and I'll find a way. But I'm sharing my story to, to just to just hammer on what Michael's saying and what he's saying in this chapter. This need and this connection of being a hunter type and wanting to do your your living as an artist, if you're a hunter type, it's never gonna leave you. It's it's just it just won't. So that's my story. Tell us about tell us about yours. I think I've blabbered enough. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, and I, every time we talk I always get another piece of the puzzle. So that that's <laughs> fascinating just to hear that. Yeah. Um well let's see. Uh, yeah, similar to you, I started off in music. That was the first love. And um, really, I, I think the one thing that really struck me is I, growing up, I was pretty hypersensitive to sound. So I remember like hear, like the trash truck and anything like sirens or anything like that just drove me crazy. I mean, it really affected me. Uh, and I now going on into studying this hunter types are very hyper can be hypersensitive to sound. That's one of the pieces. So got into music very early on. My sister was a singer songwriter when I was still growing up, um, very much ostracized from uh, the, my peer group. I was picked on a lot. Um, I just I was kind of dreamy and kind of off in my own little world. And and thank God, like my sister gave me uh, a, a lot of support with music and I was able to connect with, um, she was, I don't know, seven or eight years older than I was, than I am. And so she would connect me with her band. Like I go to her band practice and these guys were older and they were musicians and they were very good musicians. And they really kind of took me under their wing. And from then on, I really just gravitated to hanging out with older people. And I learned drums first, then guitar. And then was able to, sorry, we have, I have a train going by because we live by the coast. So, um, so the, so music became the thing. It was a passion mm -hmm. um, and it played in bands for a long time. And to this day, you know, it went from uh, drums to guitar 
to in playing in bands. I played at the Troubadour in LA and some other uh, interesting rock venues when I was in that phase of things. Uh, and then moved to being a singer-songwriter, which is what I've been doing since my mid-20s. So on the music front, that's what I, that's been one trajectory. On the art, cr- creative, graphic design, media development, trajectory. Um, I started doing uh, 3D animation. It, a lot of this is in the book. 3D animation um, at the very early stages of it in the early 90s. I got a job at 19 uh, at a small studio in Orange doing um, effects and graphic design. And um, that moved into working on some films and some TV gigs. Uh, and then started an internet company in 95 and then built that up um, worked on a number of really fun projects, sold everything in 98, sold, sold the company and everything off, got down to a guitar and a backpack and traveled and then came back around again, kind of in a different, that was very transformational for me. And then really put a lot of focus on using media uh, and my gifts in that realm from producing to music, to um, arts, to to focus on projects that I felt were making a difference. Mm. And that's what I've been doing since then. And, and I think that the book is definitely a manifestation of what I saw as being a, uh, a good place to put my creativity to uh, hopefully benefit some people. Four years of your life, too, into this book. From five, <laughs> yeah. I think it was five total. Five total. On, yeah. One thing you said that, that connects with me, that for those, if you go back to my story and, and all of us, just not my story, I'm sure have the, this, it's this circuitous route. You know, we, we all go through as artists, probably one, two, maybe more transformational periods for you is, you know, selling the company and, and backpacking and going and then coming back. For me, it was quitting a six figure job, which was insane at 30 years old because the guys in the, the rest of the band were 23, 24 year olds all living together. They were like living the college post-college life. They hadn't established themselves with a home and a mortgage and a car payment like I had. I mean, it was insane for me to do what I did at 30. But one of my philosophies in life has always been no regrets. Not to do anything stupid, like jump without a parachute or anything like that, but no yeah, regrets. Yeah. And, at, and at 30, I decided to do that. But, but I want to bring it back to this circuitous route just to say it. I think this is something we all probably can share in the commonality because then I want to get to some tips that you mentioned in this chapter for the, the hunter artist type, which yeah. is um, the, 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 you go through this transfer and that transformational period for me, maybe some of you can share in this too. Look, the bottom line is we have this need to have a living as an artist. What shape that takes is different for anybody. I am sharing with this is an editorial opinion. Don't be fooled by the fact that you have this need as a hunter type to make art your living. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a full-time living because I found out being on the road for a couple of years and, and a, for a good two and a half years making my full-time living, literally the mortgage was being paid by music and a little bit on the side with computers. That's also not all it's cracked up to be at times. There, there are times it becomes a job. So be careful what you wish for. Again, editorial opinion. When your art that you so want to make it your living becomes a job, whereas you're like, I'm not a job person. Everything has its pros and cons. To me, the key that I'm still striving for is what percentage of my life will satisfy me to have art in it. And that's where I am today. And it has to be a major portion. Don't get me wrong. I want art to be a major portion. And look, 
if still at 40, something happens and some lucky strike happens and then it becomes, it's obvious that something in my creative life, whether it's violin, composing, something in this atmosphere shows itself that it can become the full-time living, of course I'll pursue it. There's no doubt. But I think I think there is something to that because we have this need and this want to be full-time artists, but not always is it what it's cracked up to be. But don't go the other way. Don't think, then, well, that means I shouldn't be pursuing my art at all. So that's just two cents I wanted to give. Excellent, excellent. What are some tips? How do we do it? How does the yeah. hunter type? How does the hunter type pursue this artist life, whether it's fifty percent of the life, hundred percent, whatever it is meant to be? How do we do it? Well, I think there's a couple points to be made here. I think um, th- these are again what I wrote about in the book is these are the things that I've noticed pretty much making my living doing art since I was nineteen. So that's been that has been you know I haven't taken a, a full time job since then. So um, my thought would be in there's there's some there's some key pieces to think about depending on what kind of art and how you're whether it's performing or um, fine art or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it's sort of, I mean this is part of what this chapter is talking about is how do you address some or all of your survival needs through your creativity and your creativity is going to manifest in many different forms. And part of that might be, and, and I encourage entrepreneurial studies because if you're an artist, you should understand business a bit. It is so essential to understand how you take the best of what you're doing, you, what you're good at and turn that into a way that you're actually sustaining yourself. Um, so these, so a couple of the challenges that seem to arise for most artists, and we, you just shared it, and I know I'm very familiar with it myself, is um, I would say one is really completing what we start. That is one of the biggest challenges that I can hear everyone in the audience going, yes, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. From all the people I work with, that's mm-hmm. the one that, that we work on, developing a habit of completion. The other point that I think if someone who's new, younger coming to the podcast, they're maybe in their 20s, um, the reality with art, as opposed to other fields and endeavors, is your skills as an artist, whatever you do, if you're good enough at it, you can make a living at it. You don't necessarily have to go the five years to art school or whatever. Your your skills can get you, and I know this because I've, I've watched it and I continue to watch it, can get you good jobs doing what you do. The caveat is you have to be able to, one, show people clearly what you can do, which means if, it, if, if it's your – if it's like a filmmaker, you have to have a portfolio, or if you're an artist, you have to have a portfolio. You need to – or, or a, a if you have your, your reel, if you're an actor, you need to be able to show people this is what you do. And the other thing is you have to build a reputation of being able to show up and do it reliably. And this is another part where, where I think a lot of hunter types get challenged. It, I, I heard a recent interview with uh, Jason Isbell, who's an amazing songwriter. And he was saying he was asking one of these great, uh, I think it was, it was that Stax Records, he's one of the great bass players he said well how did you get these gigs like you're always playing and you're making a living and his answer was i show up on time um i i my equipment's all here and it's in good working order and uh i make sure that i'm i'm, I'm a good person to work with 
And he's like, oh, that can't be it. And he says that as now as he reflects on his life, he's like, no, that's exactly it. No, that's you, it. Absolutely. You build a reputation. Yeah. And, and so these are the areas that I think are, are blind spots when people are first going into an art career or if you're older and you're wanting to get in. Building a reputation is so much a part of how you continue to make a living because you're going to be serving somebody. I mean, you can definitely create art and create you know music or movies and get those out into the world, but you're still going to have an audience you're serving. Someone down the road, you're going to have to be of service to with your art. And so your ability to do that is going to equate to how much you make. And, and, and also, you can keep the, the ability to keep doing it is dependent on your reliability. Your ability to show up, including you showing up for yourself and creating a project, creating an album and not, you know, falling off at, at the end or creating a movie and then halfway through everything melts down and, and you stop. So it's these points that directly connect with hunter type challenges. And so we're going to go through that and, and talk about like some very specific ways, like some of the skills that we've already discussed in past podcasts of things that may be helpful to you to, to develop that may not be on your radar where you think, well, that, how does this have to do with my art? And all that, like, these are all absolutely connected. And again, using your creativity, the gifts that you have uh, to in maximizing them, obviously all the practice and all the study and everything that you need to do to make that happen. That's, that's a given. This is all the other stuff that's necessary in my opinion to, to make this part of how you sustain yourself financially. You know, I have to chime in on, on this story you said of the musician who gets all these gigs and it sounds like he's a session A player. He gets he gets yes. the first call. I never was that in the studio because that's just not where my passion was. Live music was where my passion was. But I have to say, and I'm not patting myself on the back because I know others like me, but I know plenty that aren't. And one of the things when I first got into the music business, the music industry at a young age, when I was actually starting to get hired for gigs, and then um, when I built my own band, you know, we'd get gigs at these resorts and these, um, you know, uh, $500 a night hotels um, where we would be the main band. Uh, some of them we had two-year runs. Some of them we had four-year runs. And then this includes people I got hired to play with, which were not my own band. I had a f six-year run with a gentleman in Orange County who plays flamenco music. And uh, we were regulars at Beverly Hills Hilton. We were uh, regulars at a hotel in, in Dana Point. My point is this. he He's obviously an artist, and he's in Hunter Type. One thing we had in common that that I reflect now on your story is we were artists, but we were not your quote-unquote, and when I say typical, I mean typical of the reputation that was set before us, which was the owners of the venue and the entertainment managers would always be shocked for it. We always had an 8 to midnight show at this one resort. We literally could not sleep if we were not there by 6 o'clock, and it would always shock the entertainment yeah. manager. He's like, I can't believe how early you guys get here. We're not used to this. Well, there's why half the artists, in my opinion, and at least in the music yeah. world, don't make it is because yeah. they haven't transformed their hunter typeness, and so they're late because they were getting late to this other thing. They didn't write down the reminder note to pick up that equipment, so That's they're right. running to Radio Shack to pick up that wire. Now they're late to set yeah. up. Now the show is late, but... Emilio and I were not like that. And then in my own band, yeah. I wasn't like that. Every time I would show up two and a half hours early to do it, sometimes I would show up at a venue 
And the owner would be like, we're not even ready for you to set up your sound. Like, what are you doing here? So yeah. we talked before about how hunter types, every one of us is, is, is different um, in things. We have strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things I just happened to have, I had a lot of weaknesses. Mm-hmm. One of the things I happened to have a strength in was the time management portion of just like being yeah. able to commit to, if I said I was going to be somewhere being there, that happened to be one of my strengths that I didn't need that much work on because yeah. I just couldn't. And so just to summarize what you said, I truly believe that's why I kept some of the gigs as long as I did. And by the way, with some of these gigs, the reason they didn't last is just because budgets change. And, you know, after sure. a while, they just want It had never did I lose a gig. I'm telling you right now, never did I lose a musical gig with my band, a paying gig, something that was salaried because of reputation, because I'm not showing up on time or not doing what we were there to do as of a service, a service we were getting paid for, not doing it well. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to chime in on that. That's a great story. That's, you know, and that's it. So, and, and you bring up what I think is really important is everything. If you have, if you're just coming into the podcast, you need to go back and listen to some of the earlier ones where we're talking about diet and health mm-hmm. and time management. All these pieces are so essential that they're, I don't know how you do it otherwise. Uh, and I also know just as you were sharing, like it took me a long time and I shared this, I think last podcast or two ago. Um, it took me a long time to really be reliable where I would say, I'm going to do this in this amount of time and I w- I'm able to do it. And it took me a long time to get to that place and show up and be responsible and reliable because of the wiring. And so it's because of all of the, the things that we've talked about in previous podcasts and what's in the book. You know, I, I have to live that. Otherwise, I can't function. So talking about um, the skills needed for a hunter type artist mm-hmm. to make a living partially or wholly through your creativity, uh, visioning and goal setting. Mm-hmm. Time management systems, note taking skills, good note taking skills are surprisingly important oh, critical. because you need to be, especially if you're a writer or you're a um, filmmaker or even a musician, you have to have good systems for taking de- taking in that creative inspiration, getting it into a form that you can then work with. Uh, exercise, diet, and supplements. We just talked talk, talked about that. We will talk about that ad nauseum. It's the core. It's the center. It always comes back to that, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it just, every podcast, we've come back to that being the core. So for those of you new to the podcast, please, and, and for those of you who just picked up the book and joined the podcast, we broke up diet and exercise into three different podcasts to cover one big chapter of the book. Make sure you go back and listen to that because it's critical and you're going to see it's the core of everything. Absolutely. And then the last uh, podcast, we talked about systems of organization mm-hmm. and, and or how do you organize your thoughts and how do you design your systems so that they're, they're going to be functional. All these, these are the key essential you need the if you're going to make a living as an artist unless you've you're in that one like 0.5 percent that is just enormously talented and we're you know struck you've got the agent and everything down there okay that's that happens and sure. those people don't have to worry as much about it because all these other people are handling exactly. but the probability is pretty low and if you're going to shoot for that and that only I, I, I don't know. Cause then even if then, if you're in that situation, you don't understand business or that you can be completely taken advantage of. So I can, all- I can speak to my own circle of friends who are artists. I have more people in my circle of friends of artists who I will put their pure talent level 
above anybody. I know guitarists that I honestly will put up there with the Claptons and the John Mayers of the world. I will put them up there purely talent-wise. It's the non-transformity of their hunter type that has kept them back from making it. Yeah, and also, you know, if the rest of your life is in disarray, then yes, that's that's relationships and all that. If relationships, yeah. yes, yes. It, it all it all plays into it. So, um, so the I so the the in terms of maintaining uh, your ability to use your arts and what you love to make a living, the one thing, and I highlighted this in our notes as we were going through the, you know, putting the notes together for the podcast. This is the one thing I work on every single client that I work with, it's the number one thing. Develop a habit of completion. I'm going to say it again. Develop a habit of completion. This is this is so overlooked by artists mm -hmm. and it is essential for hunter types because this is this is our Achilles heel. Yep. When you develop a habit of completion, you're building a muscle and that muscle makes it easier and easier and easier for you then to take an idea or something you've created or a project with that you're getting paid to do and bring it to completion. Mm -hmm. And so the, usually the challenges go like this. It's either distractibility, which is sort of the classic hunter <laughs> type, but I would say more specifically, cause that's very general, more specifically what happens is for most pe for most hunter types that I've worked with, you get started on a project and your hyper perfectionism kicks in and you go, Oh, you know what? This is this is just not going in the way that I envisioned. Yep. Screw it. I'm just going to let it go. I can't. Like this is not it. And so they they let it go and they move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That tendency needs to be changed mm -hmm. because if you do it, so the, you keep the great gift of be having a high bar of excellence. That needs to be there. That's essential. But if you are constantly jumping from project to project to project, if you're doing that on your own, you're not going to be able to make a living doing this. That, cause that, that doesn't fly when you're actually getting paid to do something. So you need to be able to take a project and bring it to fruition. So what I highly recommend is if you're working on something and you've lost inspiration for it, then you need to just then tell yourself, I need to complete this just in some form. And it may not be the huge massive form that you had originally intended, mm -hmm. but you need to, for your own building of this muscle, carry it through, tell yourself, I got to at least get it into some form where I feel a sense of completion with it. And then I'm going to move on. And as you start to bring awareness to this, you'll start to see, okay, wait a minute. I'm thinking a little bit, I might be thinking too big. I need to maybe scale things down a little bit and break things up into smaller pieces and finish and practice completing things. Like if you're start, if you're an artist and you're starting on an on a art piece and it's just falling apart, discipline yourself to finish it. Even if it's not exactly what you want, because nine times out of 10, it's better than you expect. And by doing that and getting some feedback on it, you might be able to then move yourself along and move yourself along. But left to your own devices, <laughs> I know many of you are, are hearing this, you'll keep going from one thing to another. You have to start getting to the place where you value the habit of completion. You build this muscle. And I can attest to you, because I've struggled with this, especially in my early 20s, it was very hard. You need to just come back and go, I'm going to complete this for no other reason is to build this muscle. And then over time, that muscle gets stronger and you're able to be better at assessing how long things take, which is a huge 
piece if you're in many forms of art. Like how long is it going to take to complete this film or how long is it going to take to complete this album or whatever it is Mm -hmm. so that you can get good at that. And that ability equates directly to making your living doing that. Well, you're building the hunter type. This is part of the transformative process. And I like what how you're addressing the younger uh, artist slash hunter type out there for for in the world of music, because it's it's my world and it's what I can speak to. For you young musicians out there, how what Michael just gave his advice translates to, I've lived this and I've watched friends who are successful live this, is you may you and your band right now may be have a lot of promise and then you're in that stage where you're like, we need to record an album. Okay, let's start on the process. How many songs do we want to do? We want to do 10. It's a full album. We should be doing 10 to 12 songs. If you start to see that things are not going as planned, it doesn't mean scrap the project. You know what it could mean? It means those three good songs you do have Make it a demo. Instead of thinking yeah. of it as a full album, package go. it up. Go to mixing and mastering of those three songs and make them the best damn three songs yeah. this band that will represent you guys. My band did it. The record label, in fact, the record label band I was with, the only reason we got noticed by a record label was because we were in the same boat. We had a keyboard player who was a master engineer, young guy at the time. He was 23. He's now a very accomplished sound engineer. And he knew then how to do recording. So we said, we'll just do an album with him. It wasn't going well. So we said as a collective, let's just say we're not going to do the 10 song. Let's do a three song demo. That three song demo, we got, we went through them. We had never mixed and mastered. None of us had ever been through the mixing or mastering process. So what Michael is talking about is to see things through and the things that you'll learn from them. At 23 for those guys, at 27 for me, I learned what it's like to mix and master an album. Now, it was only three songs, fine. Here's the end point. That three-song package, we labeled them at home. We put we, we burned yeah. them on our own CD burners. Every show, because we had a lot of shows then, every show we played, we were giving this away. And it yeah. so happened, the one night we gave this away, the record label owner was there. He liked the three-song demo. Within a year, we had a fully paid-for album done by a record label for us in a professional studio there you so, go so the for the musician and there's lots of examples in your own world of art but i just i yeah. wanted to share how this manifests and why it's so important that's a great example and and it's in many different forms so from an art for so if you're a graphic artist you need to have a really tight and, and really good portfolio and you may start by doing you know pieces of your own to in copying things that you'd like or thing you know and getting some like having like five really good things is way in fact i just saw a, a guy who hires for disney he hires artists for disney and he said look I don't care if you've got 30 pages of like decent stuff. I want to see five pages of something really, really good. That's it. And so across the board, you know, standups say, you know, it's not about having like a good 15 minutes. It's about having a fantastic five minutes Mm -hmm. and having that really, really tight. So across the board, a lot of these come through, but again, it's coming back to building that muscle of, building the habit of completion and it takes it's a muscle it takes time it's like going to the gym but uh if you're if you're learning art and you're studying art you want to get a job as an illustrator sit down and discipline yourself to finish one piece a day and there are things that scale towards whatever that means it's not going to be a huge massive you know five by ten piece it might be something small but you're building that habit of completion we're going to switch gears a little bit because i want to hear about okay let's say we've 
we've gotten to this using all the tools you mentioned in the book. Now we're developing this muscle, this habit of completion. We want to get switch gears a little bit as we wind up and talk about maintaining our inspiration, which is huge for us hunter types. I just want to make a point because you just made a mini point about standups. I happen to be a stand-up comedy connoisseur. It's just (laughs) something I, it's like someone who's a big fan of football, knows all the statistics. I know every comedian. I, I'm a junkie. I'm a com- stand-up comedian junkie. And over the years, by no coincidence to the story you just related, every comedian you know today who has made it, Louis C.K., Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, you name them across the board, what you don't know now, maybe as a struggling artist hunter type and you think, oh, they just made it, is their yeah. stories of how they got there. And to a T, each stand-up comedian says, you don't know the days that I would go to a club when this is when they were not well known, nervous as all heck, only having yeah. five to 10 minutes, but it was five to 10 minutes of banging good material and yeah. would try it out on an audience at 1 a.m. at some really, really seedy club in a bad neighborhood. But that's how they maintained their habit of completion. They would go try that out, come yeah. back. See what worked, what didn't work. Now build 15 minutes. Seinfeld says he he started out at five. Chris Rock says he started out at 10. They that's built right. it and built it. They became big, and that's when you heard of them, but you don't know what was going on behind the scenes. So these are examples of, of artists who made it, but look sure. at how they developed their habit of completion. So Absolutely. Let's yeah, talk so about it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, let's carry on with the inspiration piece. Yeah. So uh, the, the other piece is you're working on a project, whatever it is, or you you know you have a job now doing this how do you maintain the spark and so what i found i have to like part of what i've done throughout the years is do media work and people pay me to design something or create something for them and you cannot as i i i've met very few artists that can just on their own devices just crank out something most of us, the trick that we most of us have is we have inspiration that we constantly look at. So if I'm starting on a project, if I'm starting on an album, I pick three albums that are my source material. And I'm going to say, I'm not going to copy these, but I'm going to set those as my high watermark. And I may not even get close to it. It may be in a completely different genre, but there's something about it where I'm like, I want that vibe. I want something from that. If I'm working on a, a graphic art piece, I'm going to surround, I'm going to like get, if the project shows up, I'm going to go, okay, what is the feel of this project? And I'm going to go out and I'm going to find, I'm going to get on the internet and I'm going to find at least three sources where I'm going to be like, okay, that's the best of the best to create a certain feel that I want. And it never ends up being anything, what I, what I started from, what I was looking at, but it set the bar for me without that. I I just, I personally have a hard time doing it. And I know most artists have a challenge, like musicians going into recording an album, very few, especially if they've been doing it for a long time, they're going to be listening to other people. They're going to be drawing on people that have already completed something and it's that you're drawing on that completion energy of whatever it is. And for me, this is this is the trick. I mean, there's many tricks to to making a living as an artist where you there you you know that you've got your own singular voice. So you're not going to copy other people, but you need that 
input. You don't exist in a vacuum to get you to another level. And, you know, in the Beatles used to listen to pet sounds from from uh, the Beach Boys. You know, they were always pulling in other inspiration. They didn't just pull the stuff out of the air. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know that, like to get past the, oh, I'm copying somebody or you need a constant source of inspiration per project. And constantly finding new stuff is part of, for me, the how you keep that spark alive. You see something, you hear something, and it gets you fired up. And then once you're fired up, you can do it. But if you're just starting from scratch, it's extremely difficult, and I never recommend it because I think you, you need to have input constantly for what you're doing. So I think that's one of the key like secrets I found to being to making a living as an artist is that source material constantly shifting it, constantly finding new things so that you can really set that bar for yourself. And then it gives you that extra juice to follow through. Well, it sounds like what you're saying as far as fueling this inspiration, right, is that to bring in new things, you actually need to make give yourself the time during a project. Let's say you're working on a project, whatever it may be of your artist type life. Um, as you're working on that, there's these cycles of inspiration and it's, and, and this is not something we do well. We've mentioned this before is saying time out. I need a break. It's okay to take a break. And yeah. maybe during that break, you go and find these new things or you're not working on your project. Let me go get inspired by something new. You know, if you're, if you're a musician during the album making process, it's okay. You or your band or whatever it may be, there's cycles of inspiration. If you, just can be aware enough, in my opinion, it comes from the diet exercise routine, the meditation, where you're just awareness, awareness, or mindfulness. It's something you mentioned in the book over and over. If you have the mindfulness, say, hey, sounds like our creativity inspiration kind of canister is getting a little low. That's okay. Yeah. Don't push past that. That's when things then don't go to completion and you right. just scrap it. Take a pause. Go see a concert now. Go yeah, see one of your it. favorite singer-songwriters. See what they do that's live. It. Now come back to your project. And this is something you mentioned in the book. That's why there's cycles. At least that's what I take it from it is, is that that's where the cycles come in. That's it. And the thing is pushing is not always I, – I rarely just push, push, push. Mm -hmm. I really – like it's the, it's the smarter way to go, okay, like you just said, what do I need? What do I need to get the spark back so I can – and I was just dealing with the, the other day on a project I'm working on. I had to like – I was trying to find my way. I couldn't put my finger on what I needed. And as soon as I got a couple different sources of inspiration, I'm like, got it. I know exactly where to That's go. It. And the whole thing changes after that. Like the, the tension starts to, to ease. You mm -hmm. can kind of feel it. You know where you're going with it. And again, depending on what you do as an artist, this is obviously going to be different. So, But you can cross-pollinate from other uh, disciplines. So one last piece I wanted to cover uh, before we wrap up mm -hmm. is diversify. So meaning if you're making – if you want to make your – living as an artist i can so from my experience and knowing a lot of people that do it do it full time one is you gotta you have to have some kind of business skills entre and you don't have to go to school for it but you have to study you gotta get books you gotta learn some basics on entrepreneuring and just like how do you market yourself and, and just understanding the the avenues that are available to you for bringing in money through doing what you do the other thing is diversify um, I do like four or five different things for a living and it, it this changes and evolves over time it partially because as a hunter type I like bringing in new inspiration and having and also the other thing is it doesn't um, 
all my eggs are not in one basket. So if you are a graphic artist, maybe you're part-time working for a company and then on the side you've got your own business that you're doing things. Or maybe you're – like we were just saying, you make some of your money as a musician. You're going out performing part of the time. The other part of the time you're working and doing web design and that's bringing in the money. The, when you diversify, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. It gives you more financial stability from my experience. Mm -hmm. Then the trick becomes balancing it out. Again, going back to those earlier skills of like having the ability to know how long something's going to take if you're getting paid to do something Um, or, you know, just showing up and performing and doing what, you know, all the, the logistics around that, getting good at being able to plan that, have good time management. When you have those skills in place, then, I mean, you're really unstoppable because then, you know, once you have some of these skills in place, you can then start to bring in, you can have an idea and go, okay, I know how to take an idea that I have and bring it to fruition and make it have, bring you some income. And some do great, others may not, but at least you have the underlying skills to then repeat the process over and over and over again. So either it's, you know, you cr- you're an artist and you create a calendar and that's selling really well. And you're also um, teaching art at a school. Like, mm-hmm. again, I would just say for most of the artists I know that make a living, have been doing it for a long time, most are open to doing multiple things. And so I would offer diversification in terms of stability, financial stability is pretty essential for artists. Mm -hmm. And again, unless you just lucked into the perfect job and you're getting it paid really well, it's very stable. But even then, it's like you can't, you can never predict what's going to happen with that company or so having these skills really brings a a bit of peace where you know that "Ah, I know I can bring in other money if I need to. That is a great feeling to have uh, as an artist. There's so much more we could get into in this topic. And for those of you wondering, hey, they're ending, they're, they're starting, this is the second to last chapter of the book. Do not worry. We, this podcast is going to start to take another path. We are going mm-hmm. to reinvent here as we end the book. We are not stopping this podcast. I have a feeling right now, Michael, that one of the things we'll be dealing with in the future in many different formats is, okay, then how do you deal with this natural, what you mentioned, dips after projects? There's going to be setbacks. Yes. We're going to have people on. We're going to have interviews. So don't worry. We're, you know, really covering these chapters is just the beginning of this podcast. Now we're yes. going to really start to be able to dive into different topics each week. So hang in there as we start to kind of not reinvent, but just progress what this podcast is. And, and today was a full plate. I can't believe how time flies yes, by. I yes. really, full plot, full. and, and, and as, as long as we've known each other, I also learned some more things about you and your creative life today. So thank you for sharing. It was really an inspirational podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. This was, a, this is a great podcast and I just want to, um, if, if you're interested, the book is available. There's a lot more actually in that chapter than oh, we yeah. covered. Surprisingly, even though we went an hour, mm-hmm. there's actually more specifics <laughs> in terms of marketing and a and, um, little more ground plane material on that. So You also cover in the book a very important thing, which we didn't get a chance to get to today, and that's why we always say the book is important. For those young people that are trying to make art their living, Michael has a whole section here on what, how to deal with clients, because this is that reputation thing that he talked about. So again, remember this podcast is just a companion to the book. So if you're listening, haven't gotten the book, can't encourage you enough to get it before we do our official wrap up. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't, when I first got this book and then started reading through it, one of the things I highlighted when I got to this chapter, I already quoted you once, Michael, so I'm going to embarrass you and quote you again because I absolutely highlighted this in yellow. It's the very last part, word for word, from page 403 of the book, and I just thought this was beautiful, and I thought a great way to wrap up today. Artists make the world a better place to live in. Even though learning institutions often marginalize the importance of creative occupations, the fact is we make life worth living. We inspire people. We make people laugh, cry, and feel things deeply. Our work can comfort people when they feel alone and fire them up to take action. Societal and cultural revolutions are fueled by artists. We, through our ability to tap into the great mystery, can harness the collective imagination and provide vision. It's hard to imagine a more noble and worthwhile occupation. And to that, Michael, I say amen. You are an absolute wonderful author, and, and thank you for that. That is well summarized. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Drummer and the great mountain.com is where we're at. We have the uh, uh, skip, brain skip here. We have the <laughs> social media links up there Facebook, Twitter. Please give us feedback. We tell you every week. We will continue. Every week after our podcast, we get feedback. Michael gets emails, he shares them with me keep it coming and lets us know what we're doing is truly of service to go along with the book that you've got so keep it coming let us know how you're doing out there we since we are entering the next phase of the podcast let us know what you want us to focus on we get enough feedback that you want a particular topic covered more in depth or a new topic having to do with honor type we will get on it and we will provide so drummer on the great mountain is where we're at Please keep the reviews coming on iTunes and Goodreads as well. We want to hear your stories. Keep inspiring us. Keep inspiring each other. And as always, please take care of yourselves and your health. Be well.
Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is intended solely for the purpose of personal growth and not as a replacement for professional psychological support. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests of this show are not meant to be taken as medical advice. It is very important to seek the help of a qualified medical practitioner when making any shifts to psychiatric medication you may be taking or if you are experiencing extreme psychological distress.